So, it's a very solemn occasion today. Um, so we're in week two of a series that we're starting with our favorite Christmas movies. And so last week, uh, we learned a lot from Ralphie about how Jesus sees us, and who would have thunk you could have one sermon about eternal security and BB guns all together. Um, today, we're looking at Elf, a very sweet movie, a very funny movie. Um, it's got a lot of famous uh, actors in it. Um, one of them is Peter Billingsley. I don't know if you guys know Peter Billingsley. He stars as Ming Ming. And some of you may know he previously was in another Christmas movie as Ralphie. There he comes. Wait for it. There he is. That's the same actor in both of those. So for a lot of you, you've already learned something in church today, right? And that's why you come to CBCB. Um, so Elf is all about a baby um, that's in an orphanage, and he accidentally on Christmas Eve gets kind of swept into Santa's toy bag and accidentally ends up going to the North Pole. And so there he's kind of adopted by the elves there, and they raise him, and he begins to realize there's something wrong because he's twice as big as everybody else. And so he finds out at one point that he's actually human, and so he decides to walk from the North Pole to New York City uh, to find his father. Interesting plot twist, his father is on the naughty list. So he walks to New York City and he meets a beautiful girl and he falls in love and he fixes Santa's sleigh and he fixes his dad and he fixes his family and he writes a children's book and they all live happily ever after. And I, I, I understand it's, it's a true story. It, or it's, it's, it's based on a true story. Um, how many of you have seen Elf, real quick? All the Christians, amen. Uh, I can tell you that I am not particularly proud. I've, I've probably seen Elf like 400 times. Uh, and I've been just racking my brain, man, to think of what we've been asking this question, right? Is there a shred of biblical Christian Christmas truth in this movie? And I gotta tell you, there is just not a lot of baby Jesus in this thing, man. It's an hour and 37 minutes long and there's not one mention of a manger or an angel or a shepherd or Mary or Joseph or Jesus or what he came to do. Um, realistically, this movie is not about Jesus and how an infinite God came to the world as a baby to connect us to our Father. It's actually about Buddy and how a 6'3 man came to New York City as an elf to connect to his father. So I don't think anybody's gonna get the two stories mixed up. Um, but Buddy really does embody something that I think Jesus does love. And that's what I wanna talk about today. Buddy is played uh, by an actor named Will Ferrell and he is perfect for this. I mean, who else could have been Buddy? He's just so, like, gentle and sweet and innocent and vulnerable and funny and he just really wants to love everybody and snuggle and you know throw snowballs and play and sing and make snow angels and eat sugar plums in a word buddy is childlike Take a look at this clip. And every time it rains, it rains. And it's from heaven. Shoo-bee-doo-bee. Don't you know each cloud contains? Hi. And it's from heaven. 
Hello. You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Vision and your umbrella is up, 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 upside down and trading for a package of sunshine and ravioli. Macaroni. If you want the thing you love. You did it. Congratulations. World's best cup of coffee. Great job, everybody. It's great to meet you. Hi. Now come over here, boy. Sam. And every time it rains, it rains. And don't you know it's confident? So yeah, buddy is childlike, which I think Jesus loves a lot. In fact, in Mark 10, 15, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So just to be clear, Jesus says that the kingdom of God, this, this perfect world that he's come to usher in, this eternal utopia, that God has been planning for us since forever, this, this paradise that we're all looking forward to will be 100% made up of people who are childlike. And I am okay with that. Um, I like kids. Some of you may not know this, but my previous assignment before pastoring this church was teaching three-year-olds. And I, I just find that I relate to them on an intellectual level. That's awesome, uh, and you should know that my teaching has not changed that much uh, when I started doing this. Um, so the pastor at CBC, Robert, asked me after we kind of started doing this for a while, he goes, well, you know, how do you like pastoring and all that? And he said, um, what's, the, what's the worst part about being a pastor? And I said, for me, I just, I miss those kids. I think I can see what Jesus loved about kids, and it's probably the same things that, that, that we love. I mean, I love their joy. I love the, it's like, that's like their default emotion, right? Don't you love the joy of a child? Is there, is there a better sound than a two-year-old laughing? 
I love their wonder, right? It's like they're seeing things for the first time because they are a lot of times. I love the, the excitement, the way their, their eyes light up when they see something. In that movie, there's a really cool scene where he sees the big Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center, and it's like, wow, that's a big one. And when he goes into that coffee shop, congratulations, everybody. It's like he's so, he's wonderful. That's a, one of the cool things about kids, right? They're so accepting of other people. Um, when he goes down to the mail room and they introduce him to a bunch of drunken ex-cons and all he's thinking, is, oh, these guys could be like my new best friends, right? Kids are so accepting of other people and it takes us a whole life. It takes us most of our lives to learn about racism and judgmentalism. Those are learned behaviors. Kids are accepting. Um, I love the energy of kids. Um, what would you, if you could like bottle that and sell it, right? What, I mean, we'd all be rich, right? I'm staying at my daughter's house right now. Margaret and I are building a house and we're staying in my daughter's like little apartment behind their house. And every morning I can hear my grandson running across the deck. And I know it's him because I know the, the, the cadence, you know, it's like as he's running down there and he knows what time he has to leave for school. And so every morning I'll be quietly out there sitting in my prayer time, seeking the Lord. And Ryan will come down. We got 18 minutes, man. Let's go. You know, what are, you, what are we waiting on? And he doesn't want to play checkers. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't want to talk. He wants to play football, not catch. He wants to chase and run and tackle and fall. I love just the energy of kids. Um, I love the passion, uh, the, way, the way kids love. The way kids love people. Right, and if you're a parent, you know there's nothing like your child looking at you and the love, you just, that, I wish everybody could love like that and I wish everybody would have a minute in their life to be loved like that. Um, I love the passion they have for people but I also love just the passion they have for everything. Just the enthusiasm and the excitement. Um, in the movie, Buddy uh, meets his brother after school and he says, great news, I saw a dog today. <laughs> they're just, I love, they're just so excited about everything. I love their hope and their faith and their just optimism. They are so, like, not cynical, right? They're hopeful. They're, they, they believe easily. And they, they just, they expect good stuff to happen. And it, like, again, it takes our whole life to learn that we should expect bad stuff to happen. Because when we're kids, we just think everything's going to work out great, right? In fact, I have a little video of this. This is actually my grandson, Graydon, when he was little. Who are you? Spider-Man. Are you Venom? No, Spider-Man. Oh, you look like Venom. I'm sure you can climb that garage, Venom. Just better shoot a web. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might work, right? That's this, this, this positive optimism 
Um, and you know, they're, they're vulnerable, and I, I love that about them, because they just believe so easily, and they trust so easily, and so they put themselves out there, and they take risks, right? They're willing to try new things. Eating cotton balls, okay. You know, let's ask a stranger to be your best friend. All right, maybe it'll, you know, let's walk from the North Pole to New York City, okay. Let's try it, maybe it'll work out. I just, I love their, their like vulnerability. I love their like openness. And it's not just that they're open to new ideas, they're open about who they are. They're not, there's just no pretense and kids, they're, they don't, they're not trying to impress you. And so there's just no like fakeness about them. There's, there's no showing off, there's no um, hypocrisy or putting on airs or anything. If you've got kids in our Mother's Day Out program and Kids Corner, you would be amazed if you knew the stuff they've told me <laughs> about like poop at your house, literally poop at your house, and also the poop at your house. Um, you know, oh, mommy was yelling at daddy in the car today. And, uh, I like it that kids aren't trying to impress people. You know, they just, they're just, this is me, man. This is, that's just who they are, you know. I uh, heard a pastor say one time that they were in Target and like from across the store, his son holds his toy up and yells to him, dad, we can't afford this, right? <laughs> you, you don't make enough money for this. Right? And he said, of, of course we do, you know. <laughs> Get two of them. Uh, they, don't, they, they don't care. And I just, that's just some of the stuff that I love about kids, and I think Jesus does too. And I bet the kingdom will be full of joyful and hopeful and wonderful and accepting, energetic, passionate, optimistic, vulnerable, open people and the Bible is like super clear, super clear that Jesus calls for us, wants us, loves for us to be childlike. But Jesus is definitely against us being childish. It's funny, it's almost the same word and it means like the opposite thing, huh? He's against us being um, ignorant or selfish or self-centered or demanding or whiny or throwing tantrums. Now, I don't like that sermon. I don't like the way that preacher preaches. I'm saying, if he doesn't start preaching different, I'm gonna go to another church. Well, then we're gonna change it for you, aren't we? <laughs> we're gonna preach it the way you want it preached because it's all about you. Ephesians 4.15 describes sanctification, this process, right, of of, 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 of spiritual development. And the way it describes it is spiritually growing up, of leaving behind childishness. Look what it says, this is Ephesians 4.14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching and we won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. Verse 15, instead we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And then he goes on to describe like what it will look like, what, what growing up spiritually will look like physically or practically. In verse 25 he says, stop lying. 
Don't let anger control you. Don't hold a grudge or stay angry. If you're a thief, stop stealing and be generous. A lot about using bad language. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful and an encouragement to people. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander and all evil behavior. Verse 32, instead be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another like God through Christ forgave you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're his dear children. Live a life full of love and following the example of Christ. Stop all sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. No more obscene talk. No more dirty jokes. No more, replace all of that, he says, with thankfulness. And what Paul is saying is, as Christians, we, we need to grow up. We, 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 we are called to grow up, to mature spiritually, and to not act childish. And I love the way he says this in verse 15. We're supposed to be growing in every way more and more like Christ. And this, this illustration, this like metaphor, uh, is really common in the New Testament, how becoming like Jesus is described like a child growing up. So when we become Christians, it says what? We're born again. We're, we, we start from there, and then through his power and through his example and through his direction, we start growing to be more like him. And it's, that's a really interesting concept and it is a concept that is exclusive to Christianity because in all other religions, it's all about you changing so that you can become acceptable to God. It's all about you changing so that you can be acceptable to God but Christianity is different because for us, when you're, when you're born again, when the spirit of Jesus comes to live in you, then at least on the inside, you are, yeah, you're born again. You are, it's like a new life, a new creation, the Bible says. You're, you're, the term we use is regenerated. And, and from that moment on, when God looks at you, he looks on the inside. And all he sees is Jesus and goodness and righteousness and love. Now, do we then immediately stop sinning and never make another mistake. Has that been your experience? When you were saved, did you suddenly know everything about God and understand everything about the Bible and live a perfect life? Let me ask you this. How many of you have been Christians for more than, let's say, 10 minutes? <laughs> Show of hands, okay, most. And how many of you during that time have sinned? And anybody that didn't raise their hand just now did, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a lie. Because it's, it's, it's a process, right? And the fancy word is sanctification, and that is, that is God making you holy, God making you holy from the inside out, right? That is him setting you apart from the world and making you different than them and, and making you more like Jesus. And he does that through time and through trouble and through like experiences and through his word and through his spirit, and through his people. So from the moment of salvation until you meet Jesus, there's like this gap, right? There's this time, and during that time, God sees you as perfect, and on the inside you are, because the spirit of God is inside of you. So on the inside you're perfect, but you aren't really quite there on the outside yet. And I like the way this is written in Hebrews 10:14. Listen to what this says. It says, for by that one offering, Jesus forever made perfect 
those who are being made holy. Do you see the tense of those verbs? Isn't that like interesting? It says being made perfect in God's eyes. That was all done at once. That was a one time, one step, one, one, one moment. You were instantly, permanently made perfect. But being made holy is an ongoing process. So he made us, like he made us perfect on the inside all at once, but we're still being made holy on the outside. And so we're still maturing and, and, and growing out of being childish and growing into being Christ-like. So we're leaving childishness to achieve Christ-likeness because childishness is everything Jesus is not. That's pretty good. I should tweet that or something. I should put that on a t-shirt. Childishness is everything that Jesus is not. So when you think of a childish person, what do they do? I mean, they act like babies, right? Not in, not in a good way. They're, they're selfish. That's childish, right? They're, that's all the stuff Paul described in that passage in Ephesians, right? They're, they're self-centered, they're, they're selfish, it's, everything's, you know, it's all about me, right? Feed me, change me, I wanna sleep, I don't wanna sleep, I don't want you to sleep, you're never gonna sleep, I wanna, I wanna write on the walls, that's what I'm gonna do, it's all about, because when we're, when, we're, when we're little, when we're, when we're children, it's, that's the way we see the world, right? Everything is just, it's just about me. Everything, everything is just about me. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Margaret and I had our grandsons in the car, and we're going to go run some errands, and then we're going to get ice cream, right? And so um, Waylon's in the back seat; he's four, and so we're driving up 281, and uh, Margaret gets these uh, attacks of vertigo. I don't know if you know vertigo, but it's no good. Uh, and so she's like super dizzy, this crushing headache, and she's like, she's gonna throw up. I mean, this is gonna happen, right? So she's just fine, and then this thing hits her, and it's like, oh my gosh, pull over the car, and like she can't get out of the car. She's weak, she's dizzy, she's falling down, throwing up, it's a disaster. Sorry, honey. And then we're, <laughs> it's all over her shirt, and smelled terrible. Anyway, so like, we, we, like, can we get back in the car and just get to a gas station so she can, you know, throw up in a, that wonderful environment or whatever. So it's this horrible, sweaty, painful, vomity moment, right? And so we finally get up to Blanco and she goes in and throws up all over there. And it's like she's stumbling back to the car. She's just weak and she's just white and she's sweaty and she's got vomit on her shirt. <laughs> so she's in... She's in dire straits, man, right? And so, and I'm like, I'm trying to comfort her. Oh, you're gonna be okay. Forget the errands we were gonna run. We're gonna get you home, and you're just gonna be fine. And Waylon's in the back seat, and he goes, so, what's the deal with the ice cream? Right? Because <laughs> it's all about me, right? That's, that's <laughs> it's a near-death experience, right? And he's wondering about his ice cream. Um, yeah, that's... That's childish, man. That's, that's being selfish. That's being self-centered. And that is the opposite of Christ-likeness. Uh, a childish person is, is, is very demanding, right? They, they think everything should go their way, right? Every, they should always get their way. And if they don't, then what are they going to do? They're going to whine, right? Or they're going to cry. Or they're going to throw a fit, 
right? Have you ever seen a kid that like they get so mad and then after a while they don't even remember what they were mad about, but they just can't pull it together. You know, it's just, they just, they just, they, they just lost. I've, if I don't get what I want, then everybody is gonna be miserable. And that, do you see how childishness is the opposite of Christ-likeness? And it's all that stuff he described in Ephesians about growing up. Even the thing about the, the ugly words. He talks so much in there about using dirty words or whatever. But have you ever noticed how kids are like drawn to that? Isn't it weird how kids like love to use words or hear words that they're not supposed to hear? If you wanna, you wanna, you wanna score points with a seven-year-old, use the word but. You are Jerry Seinfeld, man. You are the funniest person ever. Say poop head. You'll get, I mean, even some of you are laughing, right? Say poop head and you're in with a seven-year-old. There's something about kids that they, I don't know, they're attracted to that vile, dirty, whatever. When my sister was little, she thought the word blood was like a cuss word. And so she would like get behind the couch where nobody could catch her. And she would go, blood, 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 blood. <laughs> Knock yourself out, man. It's not even a bad word. <laughs> but hopefully, as we grow, we, we stop doing that, right? That's the sanctification process. It's growing out of the rage and the vile language and the immorality and the selfishness. That's the process of sanctification. And it's a lot like growing up. You know, growing up, we're born as babies. And then over a time, we, we see the world and we listen and we go through stuff and we, we grow up and we mature into adults. And similarly, when we're born again, we're, we're baby Christians at first and then we learn and we grow and we mature and we develop and we become less childish and we become more like Jesus. But somehow, the call from Jesus is, even as we grow out of our childishness, we're supposed to hold on to our childlikeness. And so, as Christians, I, we, I think we can learn something from Buddy the Elf, because he wasn't childish. He wasn't at all self-centered, or demanding, or angry, or whiny, or foul-mouthed, or throwing fits. He wasn't childish, but he was childlike. He had that vulnerability and that gentle, sweet innocence. And he had that wonder and amazement and that hopeful optimism and joy. And you know the big one, humility. Humility. Um, but he didn't think he was better than anybody else. You know, he talked to those convicts in the mailroom the same way that he talked to the president of the company. And he talked to little kids with the same respect that he used when he was talking to powerful adults. He had like an, I don't know, an attitude. It wasn't, it wasn't a lack of confidence, but it's like he didn't try to pretend that he knew it all. He didn't try to pretend that he was self-reliant or that he was, you know, that he had all the answers or something. He was, he was humble. He was, he was like a child that knows that they're small and knows that they need help and knows that they need protection and provision from somebody bigger than them from somebody stronger than them. That's, that's humility, right? And what's really weird is nobody's ever been bigger or stronger than Jesus. And yet, one of the most Christ-like behaviors is humility. You know, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with that Philippians 2 
hupotasso, remember that, the Greek word, it means like to intentionally set yourself below, to see your, Jesus chose humility. Jesus chose to position himself beneath us. Jesus modeled humility because he values humility. And that's not a natural thing for us. That's not a, that, that's not an intuitive thing for us to have humility. What we want is position, right? What we want is rank. We want what we got coming to us, right? And, and it's not, it's not just us. In fact, listen, there's a great story in Matthew 18. Um, the disciples, here, I'll just read it. it Matthew 18, one. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus. Man, he's doing miracles, right? He's come to redeem the world. He's come to change eternity. The ra- dead people are coming to life and blind people are seeing and this incredible teaching is coming out of Jesus. And the disciples come and they got a question. About that time, they came to him and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, do you ever wonder how Jesus didn't just like choke those guys? It's like, are you even listening to what we're talking about here? Who's the greatest? They're, they're asking for a name. I mean, that's, that's, they've come to the Messiah. They've come to the Christ. And their question is, I know we're all awesome, but like, who's the best? Because it's me, right? Because it's me, right? Remember that miracle I did that time? Remember that time I served you? Luke is saying, remember I left my medical practice? Well, I mean, it's me. Just say it. It, it, it. It's me, right? I'm, it's me, right? I'm the greatest. And I just, I read that, I just think, what a bunch of bozos, man. How could they not have heard what he's been saying, what they, how could they not see who he is and what he's about, but it's like they haven't heard him. Um, there's a famous commentator uh, named uh, William Barclay. This is what he says about this passage. The very fact that they asked who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven showed that they had no idea at all what the kingdom of heaven was. Because they thought it was like this world, that it was all about status, that it was all about like your power ranking or something. And so Jesus, I mean, it would have been funny if he would have said, no, it's, yeah, it's you, Mark, you're the greatest. You know, Sorry, John, it's not you, it's James. That would, have been, that would have been funny, but that's not what he did. Instead, Jesus like didn't dignify what they asked. Instead, uh, Matthew 18, two, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among him, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never, forget about being the greatest in the kingdom, Right? He says, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So I think what Jesus is showing them, and apparently the disciples weren't getting, is that in the kingdom of heaven, things are kind of like flipped. And, and the first is last. And the servants are the leaders. And the weak are strong. And giving is better than getting. And the ones that know they are broken are actually esteemed more highly than those who think that they aren't. And the ones who depend fully on Jesus are higher than the ones that are independent and brilliant and strong and proud and trying to do everything in their own wisdom, in their own power, in their own strength. And Jesus is just making a point here. God's kingdom is not about who's big or who's strong or who's independent. In fact, it's the opposite. He says the ones that receive the kingdom of God are the ones who are like kids, the ones who are humble. You know, kids just don't have that pride thing. It, it just doesn't occur to them to look down on somebody 
because of their social station or because of their financial status or because of their skin color. And I think Jesus has got to love that. But when this says humble, the language here, it's not so much that like you should humble yourself like a verb. You should humble yourself like kids humble themselves. Instead, what he's saying is you should see yourself as low and small and meek and weak and powerless as a child. And I'll ask you to think about the world that this was spoken into, right? This is not, you know, 20th century America where kids are treated like princes and princesses and, and, and moms and dads are rushing around to get them what they want and sign them up for everything and make sure they have the coolest clothes and the latest technology and the best Pokemon cards. This was first century Israel. And to men in that world, kids were just not important. They didn't have any of the attributes that men respected. They can't fight. They can't work. They don't have any money. They don't have any wisdom. They don't have any knowledge. And so they were just considered less important and less valuable than a man was. So to say to a man, you should see yourself as a humble child, that, that was to say, don't look at yourself as being big and strong and powerful and self-sufficient, but instead see yourself as small and weak and helpless and needy and humble like a child. And I think when we put ourselves in that place, when we see ourselves as, as being as humble as a child, it reminds us that, you know, just like, just like a kid, everything a kid has comes from someone else, right? And I think when we see ourselves in that way, we realize that everything we have comes from Jesus. And that turns us to thankfulness. And remember a couple of weeks ago, we saw in scripture that one of the signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit is thankfulness. Plus, I think when we realize our need for Jesus, when I see that I'm weak, when I see that I'm small and powerless, when, I see my, when I'm humble like a child, I see that I, I need Jesus. I can't do anything on my own strength. I can't do anything in my own wisdom. I can't save myself with good behavior. I can't live the life that Jesus has for me. I need the salvation and the strength and the wisdom of Jesus. So I think, I think being humble as a child means realizing that everything I have is a gift from God. And knowing that, as the police say, every breath I take, right, every move I make, every claim I stake, every good thing I do, I do in his power, right? Not my own. And that's being as humble as a child. And that's what Jesus loves. And that's what we're all gonna do in the kingdom of heaven. So, yeah, Elf may not be the most spiritual Christian movie that you're ever gonna see, but I think we can learn something from watching Buddy about living the life that Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to stop being childish, but to never stop being childlike. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you for your word. I just, I just thank you for the truth that is just always the truth. And it doesn't matter how we present it. It doesn't matter how we come at it. It doesn't matter where we're coming from. That your word is true. 
God, I just thank you for this, this call that you've put on us to grow and to be sanctified and to be changed. And I thank you, Lord, because that's your work in us. And it's just an amazing little like partnership we have that you are making us more and more like Jesus. And we're just cooperating with you and just kind of along for the ride. And God, I just thank you for this call that you've put on us to, to grow and be sanctified and changed. But Jesus, I also thank you because you value childlikeness, this joy and wonder and amazement and this vulnerability and openness and acceptingness of a child. And I just pray that, Lord, as we're being sanctified, as you are making us less and less childish and more and more like Jesus, you will help us to retain our childlikeness. Lord, give us that wonder. Give us that joy. Give us that excitement and positivity and optimism and hope. Lord, make us like children. In Jesus' name, amen.